0: We are on Yevamos Kuf Aleph Umar Aleph 101A. And we are concluding the uh, 11th chapter here. Uh Hashem, God willing, in this recording. And we will begin the 12th chapter of this Mesechta, of this tractate of Yevamos. And so we are in the middle of discussing uh, the Mishnah. Where the Mishnah dealt with a case where There was a woman who, in the end of the day, based on the last uh, recording, the last Gemara that we saw, the case is where uh, she was married to one husband, and then uh, the marriage ended, happens to be technically it ended, it was retroactively, it wasn't even a marriage, because the engagement, the halachic engagement was based on certain conditions, and those conditions weren't met, and then she marries somebody else. The point is that she marries somebody else within the first three months. That's not allowed. But she does so anyways. And then you don't know who the father is. And so one halacha, one law of the Mishnah is if you don't know who the father is, so then he is exempt. Let's say there's a prohibition and uh, to, to hit a, your father or to curse your father. Uh, there's a prohibition uh, for that. And it's uh, deserving of makos, of... Lashes, but he is exempt because you shouldn't do it. But he is exempt because you can't pin down who the father is. So the Gemara says, "Tana Rabanah, Tana What happens if you have the following case? Hikaze v'chazer v'hikaze, kililze v'chazer uh shneym. Sorry, hikaze v'chazer v'hikaze, khalze v'chazer v'kilize according to the first opinion if you if the child this child who he doesn't know who his father is but it's no he knows that it's one of these two people if he hits one and then hits the other or if he curses one and then he curses the other or if he hits them at the same time or curses them at the same time according to the first opinion he is Chaev he is uh, obligated to uh, receive lashes uh, and the reason for this is because we know, that he hit his father. And then the he hit his father. But it's more than that. Uh, he hit his father. Uh, but in order to be obligated, you have to have sufficient warning. In order to get to to get to receive lashes, you have to have sufficient warning. Before they perform the act, The witnesses have to warn the child and say, listen, if you do this, so then you're going to get punished. And then if he does it, so then he gets punished. And there has to be a formal uh, way of uh, giving warning. And there's a discussion. What happens if, if is a warning viewed as proper warning? If it's only a warning, out of uh, it's questionable. I Meaning, what are these witnesses going to say? They're going to say, "If you hit this person, so then you're going to get lashes." It's not true. This person might not be his father. We don't know if it's father. It happens to be in, in the totality of the situation. In the end of the day, he hits both of them. But for each individual warning. It's a warning out of doubt. We just don't know, so the witnesses will say it's it's possible that you'll get that you'll get punished for this. But at the end of the day, we don't know. So is that viewed as sufficient warning or not? And so the, the, this first opinion it says that uh, certainly if you do it all at the same time, so then that would be viewed as sufficient uh, warning because it happens all at once. So then it's not uh, it's not questionable. We know for sure that uh, he hit his father one way or the other. But he hit both of them at the same time, or he cursed both of them at the same time. Uh, but when it comes to one after the other, the only way that they're deserving of punishment, a court, which is the position of this uh, first opinion, is if this first opinion also holds that giving such a warning, which is basically saying, uh, I'm giving you this warning that you'll get punished, but it's only possibly you'll get punished because this might be your father, that's viewed as sufficient warning, according to the first opinion. Rabbi Huda argues, Rabbi Huda, Omer, Rabbi Huda says, No! One after another to do it all at the same time, so then, okay, that's sufficient warning because it's not a warning out of doubt. It's saying basically if you hit both of them at the same time, so then for sure you're hitting – one of them is your father. You're hitting one of them, so then uh, you are puni- You get punished. So that's sufficient warning, but if it's one after another, uh, not at the same time, so then it's improper warning because it's not a warning out of, uh, out of uh, certainty. And so, therefore, you the child would be exempt, even though he, at the end of the day, he hits his father. But uh, the point is, is that in order to get, get a punishment, you have to have proper warning, and he did not have proper warning. The Gemara now says, "Wait a minute, But there is a brayso uh, which says, "Rabbi Omer Potter We just said that according to Rabbi if you do it at the exact, if the child does it at the at the exact same time, he curses his fa- both people one of them is his father or he hits both of them and one of them is his father we just said that according to Rabbi Yehuda he does get punished now we're saying according to Rabbi Yehuda even if you do it at the same exact time so it's not an issue about the warning but it must be some other issue so even in that case you're exempt so isn't this a contradiction so like where it says these are two different positions trying to understand Ruby Yehuda we have a dispute what exactly did Ruby Yehuda say two different sources but the Gemara wants to know, my time is the man the potter but what's the logic to say that he's exempt? At, at this point in time, there's there's no logic to say that he's exempt. In the end of the day, the warning is a good warning. He did it all at the same time. In the end of the day, he hit or he cursed his father. He should be deserving of punishment. So the Gemara says, no. This is the, the logic. Amar Rabbein delchanina. Nemar Brachlamala she'im lamata, there's a connection within the verses within the Pesukim about one who curses God Hashem and one who curses their their father. And there's a certain connection between the two and we say just like when it comes to cursing Hashem there's only one God. There's no there's no partner. It's only cursing Hashem and then a person gets punished for that. So too, in order to get punished for cursing your your father, It has to involve only one action of cursing one individual who is your father. But in this case, where it requires cursing or hitting, uh, there's also a connection between cursing and hitting, so it applies to both. But if it's cursing and hitting two people in order to be certain that you're hitting your father, then in that case, you will be exempt, because then it's not exactly like cursing Hashem, where it's just one act. Over here, it requires multiple acts of cursing your father or of hitting your father, and so therefore you would be exempt. Um, And that's how you would explain that position of Rabbi Yehudah. Again, this is a dispute within Rabbi Huda. According to one position within Rabbi Huda, even if it's at the exact same time, you hit or you curse, so then you are deserving of punishment. But we're right now explaining the other position, which says that you are not deserving of punishment because it is connected to the verses themselves, connected to cursing or hitting uh, Hashem. And that's all in one act. Okay, that's one part of the Gemara that discusses the Mishnah. And now we're, we'll discuss another part of the Gemari that discusses the Mishnah. The Mishnah said, what happens if you know this is a child of, we don't know who the father is, it's either the first the first husband or the second husband, but they're both Kohanim. They're both Kohanim, so the child is certainly a Kohen, as we discussed in the last recording. The child is a Kohen. In fact, the Mishnah says that the, the, this Kohen is allowed uh, if, they, uh, if, the, if the fathers are part of different Mishmaros. We know that the Kohanim are divided up into different groups called Mishmaros, um, and they don't all serve during the same time, but the Kohanim are divided up into different groups, and they serve in the temple at different times throughout the year. So if the fathers are in different uh, groups, so then this child cannot serve in the base of Migdash in the temple, because each group could push them aside. Um, But... But sorry, they they could even. I apologize. Even if the the fathers are in two different uh, mishmaros, they're in two different uh, groups for the kohanim. He could the child could decide he could serve in either one. He has the choice of serving in either one. That's not a problem. What the problem is is that he can, he cannot receive any of the rewards, the rewards and the benefits of the food for that particular group that he can't get because that's a monetary issue when it comes to a monetary issue so then all the other kohanim can say hey you, you're not really part of our group you don't. You can't prove to us that you're part of our group maybe you're part of the other group however if both fathers are all part of the same group so then for sure he's deserving of food of the food of the benefits of the rewards of, of serving during uh, that particular time period and so then he could get the benefits because both fathers or potential fathers both husbands one of them is the father uh, they're both part of the same if they're both part of the same group, so then he could benefit. So the Gemara is commenting on that. And it says that, first it says that he's allowed to choose whichever group he wants uh, either of, of either husband. He's allowed to choose whichever one. So the Gemara says, Once he's not getting the benefit, so then why would he serve in the base of The Gemara doesn't even understand the question he's saying that he wants to serve forget about the benefits of the food fine he won't get that but he wants to serve at the temple Uh, it's a big it's a mitzvah it's a mitzvah it's a commandment uh to serve in the temple he wants it's a privilege he wants to do that so that's what it means so the gemara says no it's analyzing the language of the Mishnah. the Mishnah doesn't say he has the right to serve in either one of either of the potential fathers their group. It says that we, we push him up. We make him do it. We make him go up and we make him serve. Why do we make him serve? Well why do we force we don't force we don't force them to serve. It's a it's a privilege. But why do we force him to serve in the base of Migdash? So Amra Amar Amrabios, Mishim Michim Pegamishbacha. <speaking in Hebrew> the reason why we do this is we force him is because um that uh, people will be, uh, people of that particular uh, group, maybe they'll be embarrassed to say that this person's included within us, he's somebody who's really disqualified, and really he shouldn't join us, and so we, we push him in, and we push him in and say, no, you're supposed to do this, go serve, you're allowed to serve, um, you're allowed to serve so that uh, people don't question whether or not you're a cohen, you're a good cohen, go ahead, and we, we, we do, we push you up, up there to, uh, to serve in the, in the base of Mikdash. Okay. That's uh, that's the first part of this of this situation about serving. Uh, again, the the Mishnah said that if the, the two husbands, that one of them is the potential, one of them is the father. Uh, they, if they're part of two different groups, he's allowed to serve in either one, but he cannot receive reward because that's a monetary issue. And each one, uh, there's only a limited amount of, of food, and so uh, the Kohanim of one group will say, "You're not part. Of, you're not proof to us. You're part of our group. You can't prove it to us. You're really part of a different group." And um, so he cannot get any any reward from either group. Uh, however, if the parents are both part of the same mishmar, they're both part of the same group. So then uh, he could eat because either whichever fa- whichever one's his father, it's all part of the same group. So he's able to eat. Timurah says, "Wait a minute, that shouldn't be so simple." I don't understand. Even these groups, these mishmaros. They themselves are divided up. Every mishmar, every one of these groups, is divided up into six. What we refer to as batei avos. There's a whole system. There's six of these of these uh, mini groups, and and so only the mini groups, when they serve, that's when they get their that's when they get their their Khelek, That's when they get their portion. So uh, I don't understand. Even if they're if this the parents are within the, or these two potential husbands, one of them is the father. They're in the same group. But they might not be in the same mini-group, the Bate Avos. And so then each of the Bate Avos, each of these mini-groups, could push this person aside and say, you didn't work with us, or even if you did work with us, but, but you worked with us, but you can't, you can't prove that you're part of us uh, because we don't know who your father is, so then you shouldn't uh, receive the portion because that's a monetary issue. So they have the right to push him aside because he's a Suffolk. He's questionable whether he's included in it. So, so you have the same issue there. So Amr Papa no to So Papa explains, you know what? What we what the Mishta really meant to say is that if the two husbands, one of them is the father, they're not just part of the same Mishmar, the same overall group, but even it's specifically if they're in the same subgroup. In the Avos, they're part of that subgroup, so then he's allowed to eat. But you're right. If it's the, the two husbands were part of two different subgroups, even if they're part of the overall the same Mishmar. So then, each one could push this suffic aside. It could push this one who's questionable aside because maybe he's really not deserving. Maybe that's not really his father's group. Uh, So, but he would only be able to get it if both husbands are part of the same group as well. Okay, that's what the Gemara says. We finished the eleventh chapter in this tractate, Yevamos. we now continue to the twelfth. The twelfth is a very unique chapter. It's a unique chapter because we've been discussing over the last 100 weeks. We've been discussing the laws of Yibam and the laws of Chalitza. With many side topics and many very interesting conversations and discussions throughout. But we never actually discussed the process of Chalitza. The process of Yibam we've discussed at length. It's uh, the act of sexual relations. But we also discussed that there's a rabbinic form of an engagement called Ma'amar beforehand. About whether it's the giving of a ring or, or a document, um, but that's, uh, that's with regards to Yibam. We never discuss what happens for Chalitza. The, the, the verses, they state that if you can't do Yibam, so then as a, as a backup, you could do Chalitza. Now, what exactly is Chalitza? What is the process of Chalitza? What does Chalitza accomplish? That really was not discussed. Uh, this entire tractate, you could go through 100 pages, <laughs> double-sided pages, and you still won't find it. You won't find it exactly. Maybe a few lines here, a few lines there. But this is really in the 12th chapter here. This is where it is uh, in fact discussed. So just a little bit of an introduction and then we'll see the Mishnah. Uh, Chalitza. Chalitza, there's a big discussion. Is it really a mitzvah on its own? And that you would have to do chalitza. If you're not doing Yibam, you have to do chalitza. Or do we say that no, that chalitza, it's not that it's a mitzvah on, on its own, but it's a mitzvah that if she wants to marry somebody and it's not her brother-in-law, then she has to do chalitza. But if she doesn't want to, so then she doesn't have to do chalitza. If she doesn't plan on getting married, if she's older, whatever the case is, she doesn't plan on getting married. So maybe we'll say there is no mitzvah of chalitza. The whole mitzvah of chalitza is just to allow her to marry somebody else. So that is a big discussion. It has big ramifications of what happens if uh, she doesn't want to get married again. So then does she have to do chalitza? Does she not have to do chalitza? What exactly is the process? What is the process of Chalitza? So Chalitza literally is the removing of the shoe. So let's just go through a little bit of the process and then uh, obviously the, the, coming, uh, the, the coming weeks, over the coming weeks, we'll discuss it in greater uh, detail. So what happens is, is as follows, and this is based off the Rambam, Maimonides as he describes uh, the order of Chalitza, Basically, he puts on the brother-in-law, uh, puts on a shoe of, of hard leather, and he puts it on his right foot, and he ties his shoes, and he's standing in front of the court. And they call out to the sister-in-law, and they say, are you the sister-in-law? Yeah. Then they go, and they, uh, they call to the brother-in-law, and the brother-in-law says, uh, sorry, the sister-in-law says, I apologize, they don't call to the sister-in-law. The sister-in-law says, where is my brother-in-law? Where Where is my Yavam? Where's my Yavim to perform yibum and he says I don't want to do it. So what is he? What happens next? She, the sister-in-law, then takes off the shoe. That's what Khalita is. It's taking off of the shoe. We'll explain what what's this idea of taking off the shoe in a second. Takes off the shoe in front of the court, unties it, takes it off, and then she spits on the ground uh, to to signify the fact that this is not what's supposed to happen. Because ideally, you're supposed to do yibum. This is a backup, but or, or at least. Uh, she spits on the ground to show that this is the end of the relationship, and then afterwards they call out and they say, "This is a house uh, where we call this is a base chalitanaal. This is the end of this is a house that does chalitza, and they don't uh, they don't perform yibum. So the spitting I can understand because it's some form of rejection or some form of uh, uh, of, of an end or, or displeasure for what's happening because really you're supposed to do yibum something like of that sort. What's the idea of taking off of the shoe? So two options, or two, two uh, suggestions. There are more than just two, but two suggestions right now. Uh, one of them is that uh, it's a form of mourning, a form of a velos, because taking off of a shoe is an act of, uh, you know, to, to wear the shoe is, is uh, not proper during mourning. Uh, and so we take off the shoe uh, to highlight the fact that this is really the end of uh, the, the husband who passed away. This is his ultimate end, because now she's not going to get married, and it's not his legacy is not going to continue, and so this is really the total end. He doesn't have any children. It's it's the total end, and so therefore it's a form of mourning of Avelis. Alternatively, um, in uh, in more uh, deeper thought, in in the body is is viewed as the shoe of the soul. It's what the soul enters into, and the body itself is referred to as the shoe of the soul. And the soul of the husband who passed away was supposed to enter into the body of the brother-in-law, so to speak. And by removing the shoe, you're symbolizing the fact that, no, it's not happening anymore. This soul is no longer entering into this body because yibum is not taking place. So that's another way of, of understanding it. Okay, so that's a basic introduction to chalitza. the steps within chalitza: It's the removing of the shoe and then the spitting. She removes his, his shoe, then she spits on the ground and uh, then they make the announcement uh, of Chalitza. So let's see the Mishnah. We'll see the opening Mishnah and then we'll begin the Gemara in the next recording. Mitzvah Chalitza b'shlosha dayanim. The Mitzvah of Chalitza requires three judges. Why do we require three judges? It will be the discussion in the beginning of the Gemara. But we require three judges and the Mishnah even says shlosha shlosan Even if they're not expert judges, even if they're I guess referred to as regular people as long as you have regular people, it's also fine you could have three of them uh, as well. We'll see in greater detail in the, in the Gemara what exactly does this mean um, and how do we pask and what, how do we rule. If you do chalitza, we're discussing now the, uh, the type of shoe. If it's of soft leather, it sounds like it's not ideal, but it works. But if you use, uh, really it sounds like a, a sock, It sounds like it's uh, clothing, so then that wouldn't work. The clothing wouldn't be viewed as a shoe. That would not work at all. The next case is, If the sandal, if the shoe um, has an ekev, it has a heel, so then that works. If it doesn't have a heel, so then that is invalid. It has to have an heel if the leg, we're talking about now the leg of the brother-in-law, let's say he was amputated, anywhere from the knee down, and he wears a shoe on the stump of his leg, that's fine. But if, it's, if the leg was amputated from the knee up, so then that's not viewed as his leg, and then the chalitza would be invalid. That would not, that would not work. And again, the Gemara is going to get into to all this ksheira. if you do chalitza with a sandal with a shoe which is not his or if it was made of wood or it was on the wrong it, it, it was on the wrong foot that uh the left shoe was worn on the right foot so it, it was it, he didn't put it on the right shoe on the right foot, but he put the left shoe on the right foot so all that in the end of the day. It works. It's not a problem. It's valid. That itself would work. And then finally, the last line of the mission is let's say he's wearing a shoe that was either too big for him, but he could still walk in it, or if it was too small for him, but it covers most of his foot, so then that also would work. That itself would work as well. Um, And so the size... Uh, as long as he's able to still walk with it and it covers most of the foot, so then that would work as well. These are different laws with regards to the actual type of shoe. And so through the Gemara, we will discuss uh, many of these laws. So we'll continue in the next recording.